Hello and welcome to Star Trek, a comic book review. Our continuing mission will be to explore and review all Star Trek comics released from 1967 to today. These stories were released in Gold Key Comics, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Malibu Comics, Wildstorm Comics, IDW Comics, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek Expanded Universe contains is copyrighted and trademarked by Paramount Pictures, all rights reserved. Hello everyone and welcome to the Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number two. So, yes, it is uh, November 10th, 2009. This is our second podcast. We are going to try to tackle four, count them, four comic books in one, almost one hour session. Yes. That's what we're shooting for. We're going to be reviewing issue one, two, three, and four of the Gold Key series. Exactly. Actually going in order. Yes. So, um, one thing we're going to do a little bit different from last time, too, is we're going to try to do a synopsis of the story, so you have the context of the story, without going into excruciating detail. Uh, Hopefully, maybe sometime folks listening have already read the comic, or may want to go out and obtain the comic, since it's available for a very uh, very reasonable price. It is now, yes. So, okay, so uh, let's go. In, let's jump into number one. Um, it was originally published in October of 1967, and the title is The Planet of No Return. Issue number one. Okay, so I'm going to start out with a little, um, a little teaser, and then go into the synopsis of the story. So, the uh, initial page... Uh, which gets you grabbed into the story, is a action-packed scene which has uh, Kirk McCoy, uh, Yeoman Rand, uh, being attacked by a huge Audrey II-like Venus flytrap uh, creature, kind of like from Little Shop of Horrors, who is basically sucking them in like a massive organic Hoover vacuum. And they're commenting how they're going to get out of this, this sticky wicket. So... That's the grabber, and it looks pretty action-packed uh, with huge plants. Yes, just my kind of uh, episode. Okay, so we're going to start out. <laughs> okay, so the comic book starts out with Enterprise heading to Planet KG, which we uh, find out means Kelly Green, because apparently this is a very lush land uh, planet, which is full of uh, all kinds of uh, plants, uh, which is, by the way, the only planet in this entire galaxy they're in that, uh, that, that, that has life, which is very odd. Okay, uh, space spores enter the ship before they get to the planet and infest uh, guinea pigs that turn into huge plant monsters that actually occur- attack Kirk and Spock. Uh, luckily, security guys come in, red shirt guys come in, and they zap the uh, killer plants with their phasers. So, Kirk and Spock are saved, and more importantly, the crew realize there is a danger afoot from uh, deadly plant spores. Anyway, uh, Kirk, Rand, uh, and company beam down uh, once they reach KG, uh, planet KG, and they are engulfed uh, by a mist. Uh, And the mist is particularly thick around Crewman Hunt. Uh, Crewman Hunt starts transforming, oddly enough, into a plant. And then the remaining... Uh, crew, before his transformation is complete, is attacked by the uh, large Venus flytrap creature, which uh, was depicted in the um, in the splash page, in the original uh, grabber page. The flytrap, the fly before 
it sucks in uh, our, our, our crew is attacked by another plant. So um, the, other, the other plant ends up dying in the process, uh, in addition to the flytrap uh, plant that was the aggressive one. Um, when they take a closer look at the plant that was their savior, they're able to figure out that it was actually Crewman Hunt all along that had completed his transformation and realized that his crewmen uh, were in, uh, crewmates were in danger. Okay, so the crew uh, is attacked yet by more plants and take refuge in a cave. While in that cave, where they make plans of maybe it's a good idea to get the heck out of Dodge and get back to the Enterprise, uh, they, uh, Ensign Rand is grabbed by, the, um, by one of the plants and taken away. Uh, the crew goes ahead and tracks her down and finds her uh, herded into a pen with a bunch of other uh, mammals, uh, apparently uh, food for the slaughter. So that's the end of part one. Picking up in part two, um, the crew uh, try to get to Ensign Rand by zapping their way through uh, a huge uh, plant wall of, of thorny uh, plant matter. Uh, unfortunately, the... Uh, the, the bushes that make up this wall regenerate far too fast, and they're not able to get through to Rand. Uh, meantime, the animals and Rand are starting to be herded to other plants that ingest them. The crew decides to have Spock, uh, have Spock fire the ship's phasers down at this, uh, this wall of, of thorny plant matter uh, to blast a hole so they can get through uh, to Rand. Uh, the shot is made and their crew fight their way to Rand and are beamed aboard the ship, safe and sound. Uh, finally, the, uh, the episode is wrapped up when the plant is deemed too dangerous and the Enterprise completely destroys the planet from orbit, uh, naturally keeping the Prime Directive firmly in their frontal lobes. It's so, too dangerous. It's too dangerous. It's a deadly, dangerous plant. Planet. Planet. That deserves to be completely obliterated from a completely different galaxy outside of the Milky Way. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know why they say they're in a different galaxy. Uh, and this com galaxy is completely uh, barren except for this one planet. So exactly. uh, maybe they don't know the difference between a galaxy and a solar system. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I'm hoping so. Because it is rather annoying because, as everyone knows who has watched any Star Trek episode, either in the original Trek or any of these successors, galaxies are big places. We're just in like and certain they, quadrants. And they only have the little alpha quadrant. Exactly, except of course in Voyager's case. And so, Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine, that's true. But for the most part, we're not jumping between galaxies. No. So, um, it is, and this is not the only episode that does that. Well, even in the TV series, they go to the edge of the galaxy. Remember, there's the Great Barrier that mm -hmm. they can't get through. True, true. Which... Seems a lot further than just the little alpha quadrant that uh, is established later. Exactly. And, of course, in the uh, classic uh, Star Trek V, we see they go to the center of the galaxy. To find God. To find God. So, so, ironically enough, they also do the same thing, uh, or something very similar in the animated show. Yeah. But this time they find Lucifer. Ah. But uh, that's a different story. Hey, God, Lucifer. You want to mix it up. All right, uh, real quick on the cover. has a picture of Spock and uh, Sulu and Kirk. Um, that's the only time Sulu's ever even depicted in this whole issue. Um, and he doesn't uh, pop up very often in the other ones I've read so far. So far, he has not shown up too terribly much, if at all. 
Well, there's just the one that we'll get to today, where an Asian gentleman is depicted, and his name is not mentioned, but it's probably it, It's probably him. Yeah. Probably Sula. Okay. All right, real quick on the splash page, the uh, Kirk character here. Yeah. Um, who, who do you think that looks like? Um, it doesn't quite look like Kirk to me. No. He's, he's like too skinny or something. But what does his face look like? Who? The side profile? Yeah. Oh, didn't we talk about this? We it, did. It, it looks like Trip Tucker. Yeah, it looks just like Trip Tucker. So, Which, of course, couldn't be. 30 years but. before they had a Trip Tucker, they drew him here exactly. as Kirk. It's exactly. amazing. It's funny. Now, McCoy looks pretty McCoy-like. McCoy and Rand look really good, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just, just Kirk. Yeah. All right, so then we actually get into this, the, the story... Um, Kelly Green is a funny name for a uh, planet. Um, it's a color, right? It's a color, yeah. All right, and then um, this bottom picture here on the first page where uh, McCoy and uh, Spock are talking. Yeah. Uh, McCoy's outfit is green instead of blue, so oh. I don't know why they uh, did the colors that way. Yeah, and actually Kirk kind of looks like the same green. Yeah. In some of the later panels, right. which is very odd considering they're never the same color. Uh, Spock, I mean, uh, uh, McCoy. Yeah, McCoy should not yeah. be blue, but, I mean, he should not he be should green. He should be blue. Right. right. But I think these pictures are really good of, of the headshots of the, the actors. Right. Um, which which we'll get to in a little bit, but I think that's pretty much the only reference point they had uh, when they made this comic book was they had some headshots of what the yeah. actors are supposed <laughs> to look like because nothing else looks at all uh, quite right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing, just to mention before we get too much further, is I like how uh, McCoy and Spock are sitting there talking about provisions for the landing party. Something that always, you know, kind of bugged me a little bit is that again, they always went down on the planet, never had jackets, for the most part. I mean, yeah. except for a few, like uh, like the second movie, right, right, uh, about the con. Uh, never have jackets. Uh, they never have provisions. Uh, they just have their tricorders and you know normal landing exactly. party kit, and that's about it. Right. So I do, I do like how they keep doing. They're that. kind of preparing, yeah. Sorry. And I also like when they actually get beamed down to the planet. They have away uh, away mission suits on, so they're like environmental suits. So yeah. they have gloves and everything, even though they don't have the helmets. But they're not just the uh, red, yellow, and blue shirts. Mm. All right, so. Uh, so they get attacked by the guinea pig monsters, uh, and everybody just starts is, shooting. Yeah, so this, this is Kirk and Spock? Yeah. I mean, uh, McCoy and Spock. McCoy and Spock, right. Yeah, and I think it's particularly cool, um, although it is kind of annoying, they keep on, almost every issue comes up with a new spin on phasers. Um, oh, you mean a different look? A different look. Oh, okay. So obviously there's trigger guards on it. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the body of it is more, uh, kind of like a rectangular long box and there's no phaser type one plugged into the top of the phaser, uh, cause he, they're using phaser type twos in this particular scene. So it's reminiscent <laughs> of, uh, of the, 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 the original series phasers, but, uh, a bit of a spin on the design. And this is a, a, yeah. a kind of cool close up of, of a phaser. Of a phaser, shooting. yeah. All right, so they decide to uh, go ahead and head to the planet. Oh, but what I thought was funny is that Spock just says these uh, these guinea pigs were outside of the ship at one point, and that's when they must have gotten infected. And yet, in the first couple pages or the first couple panels, we saw that the uh, spores actually entered the ship. Uh, yeah. So Spock's wrong. And he and is I, never I wrong. Say, he is never wrong. Earlier in the in, earlier in the book, they're saying it's 
the spores seeped in through the hull. It seeped. How, how do spores seep in through metal? The air vent. Okay, so and, and that seemed weird. But now they've got this other thing where they, ooh, we put some guinea pigs outside of the ship for some reason. Yeah. And brought them back in. In little spacesuits with oxygen masks on and stuff. <laughs> it's weak. Um, yeah, and then they also say that it's quite possible that the alien spores have uh, engulfed this whole unknown galaxy. So, And that's why there's no life on another, on another planet. I guess so. Uh, then they go into the, the teleportation chamber. Which which doesn't look at all like the uh, transporter pads from the show. In fact, it's just one by gigantic like fishbowl looking thing, uh, where they all stand in. Uh, these first couple of issues, it looks like maybe um, there's like a beam down effect hitting all of them at the same time. Yeah, but no we'll, pads. Yeah, but we'll see in issue number four that that's actually glass, and that there's some sort of door that they yes, open up to get in and then shut. Right. And actually, that glass is kind of important in, in, in a later issue. In that issue, right. But, but looking at here and reading for the first three, I always thought that that was some sort of transporter effect that looked like they were kind of engulfed. But yeah. now, looking at it again, it's, it's, it's glass. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, then um, I called her Ensign Ran, but I guess you said it's Yeoman Ran. Uh, she actually joins the uh, away, away party. Yeah. Well, she was referred to as Yeoman Rand a lot. Yeah, she but was. You, you're right. I don't know if she was an ensign or not. Yeoman, Yeoman isn't the same thing as an ensign, right? I don't know. Okay. But uh, in reading, I've read maybe 10 of these Gold Key uh, comics so far, which is 10 out of the 61 they made. And this is the only appearance she has so far. So I wonder if she ever comes back. I, I don't know. But I mean, and, and I like seeing her there. I do too. And I like seeing her doing something. I mean, actually on the planet, other than just but taking then, Kirk's signature in sure. the show, exactly. And then looking good, and then maybe an eye candy, exactly. Um, but you know, at the end, in the end, she just becomes the uh, the object of rescue. Yeah. She's the damsel, the in, damsel exactly. in distress. That's distress. what she becomes. That's yes. why she's there, really. Right. But, but they, okay. they could have used yeah. McCoy in that same fashion. Um, all right, so then he turns into a swamp thing, uh, <laughs> fights the uh, giant Venus flytrap. So this is Hunt, Crewman Hunt. C- Crewman Hunt, yeah. Who, he looks kind of like a tree. He looks just like a tree. Yeah. But um, didn't really have anything to say there. Um, oh, except for when the when he died, the uh, when Hunt dies, uh, somebody says, Timber! <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, so they bury him. Then they get attacked by the more monsters, and they get attacked by the little tumbleweeds, which I thought was funny. Mm. They're actual little tumbleweeds that come and attack them. Uh, and then they just use them like target practice and pick them all off. Yeah, and don't they say something about great shooting, Captain, or something? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. You hit brown everyone nose. in sight, Captain. Good shooting. Yeah, what a brown nose. Excuse me, is there something, is there something brown in your nose? Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, and then she's attacked by this big monster-looking uh, mon- uh, plant that just disappears, and they have to kind of follow its trail to uh, find out where it went. And thus ends issue or um, part one. Yes. And then in part two, we actually get to see the monsters that are in the pen with her, and they kind of look like uh, something that you would see in a Star Wars movie. They have like the <laughs> the big butts and the little heads and. It don't, yeah, they, don't they look like some kind of weird kangaroo? Yeah, a kangaroo and a giraffe mixed together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. All right. And then he says, suffering stardust. I think that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, they, they like to do that. 
Yeah, and uh, then they just start blasting away. They start shooting the uh, the wall, can't get through. The thorny wall. And then they uh, come up with the. Uh, they find out that the uh, plant the plants are hurting these people or animals. Um, and then they decide to shoot the wall so that they can get close to Rand to beam her up, but can't uh, can't Spock just beam her up from the ship? Exactly. Why do they have to get close? Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. So they, they didn't do anything to explain that anything was uh, interfering with transport. Right. Well, in fact, they they don't. They just when they finally do blast through, they just run up close to her and beam me up, and they all <laughs> get beamed up just fine. Um, and then that's it. I mean, there's really not a lot to talk about. Uh, but once they get up on the ship, uh, they talk about uh, how the planet's too dangerous. And it has this awesome shot of the Enterprise just blasting away at the the planet. You see the planet completely engulfed in fire. Enterprise up there in the sky just blasting away. Um, and then that's it. Anything yeah, and else? another thing that's interesting is um, the person that decided to blow up the entire planet, is you know, genocide, is Spock. <laughs> which is kind of interesting uh, because uh, Spock just says all this stuff and then Kirk's like, you know, he doesn't say anything, and they start laying waste to a planet. So, yeah, yeah, and and uh, what's what's funny is that I don't know. Like I said, I think that they were just given headshots of the ship, mm-hmm. headshot of the actors, and said, "This is what everything looks like," and they just kind of went with it. Hence, the reason they have all these different outfits and all the computers look different. But on the Enterprise itself, when it's flying over the planet, it has like exhaust coming out of the yeah. cells yeah. and yeah. the. Uh, the little and, engineering and in the inge- engineering section yes. yeah so later on they'll actually say uh let's let's get the rockets going and stuff like that they don't say it in this issue but later on they'll exactly. say exactly launch the rockets and i'm yeah. like it's, rockets it's not rockets no it makes it it makes it sound so dorko um okay and if i could just make another comment as you if you go on you'll see that um there's a little bit of bio thing about Star Trek and stuff, and they got a couple shots of Kirk. Yeah, it was on the back cover. There you go. And um, it's great. It says, the Enterprise and her thousands of crewmen. I had, cir- I had circled the same thing. That's funny. Isn't there supposed to be like 435 yeah, people Yeah, it's like less than 500 people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had the same thing. It's like, these people don't know of which they speak. <laughs> now, right. on this last little page, I just noticed that Ahura, there's a picture of Ahura. Yeah. Even though she's not in the comic, but at least she's there. Yeah, you know, I find in general many uh, mo- many of these comics are comics are a little white bread. They tend to focus more on the um, on the Caucasian characters, I think. And Spock, of course, who's and Spock, who's a completely who's, different race. He's a different race, but Species. he looks Vulcan. He looks well, yeah. <laughs> All right, so that does that one. Let's go ahead and uh, jump into part two. Sounds good. All right, so now we'll do issue number two, which is called The Devil's Isle of Space. This came out in June of 1968. So if you look real quick, first issue, October 67th. Next issue, June 68th. So if I was a little kid, I'd be a little upset that my subscription ran that long. <laughs> All right, well, so... Well, they doing normal subscriptions for this? I, I, mean, I have no so idea. Frequently. I have no idea. Hopefully not, but still, you'd hate to keep running to the comic book shop. That they didn't have back then to look for the next issue. All right, so uh, what we kind of didn't talk about is that each one of these issues has a little teaser page, which is, I guess, like a trailer. 
And then it's broken into part one and two, so I guess you're supposed to assume that there was a commercial break in between. So the uh, teaser shows um, Spock aboard the ship telling Kirk uh, to get ready for the beam-up. Uh, Kirk orders him to stop, otherwise they'll beam uh, these attacking creatures aboard as well. And you see these uh, little green monsters, uh, not little, but these uh, green guys you. with uh, weapons and stuff attacking them. Alright, so then we get into the story, part one. Enterprise is heading to a strange asteroid belt. Uh, when they get too close to the, uh, sh these asteroids, the ship loses control, and they discover that they're being held in place uh, by some sort of great power source from the planet. Uh, Kirk and a few crewmen decide to beam uh, down and uh, turn it off or destroy it. Uh, they beam down, and they find some machines that look like food processors. And while they're investigating it, um, these aliens uh, start attacking them. Uh, Kirk then uh, calms, down, calms down the locals and tells them that they're all friends. Uh, the locals then tell them the story about how they've been marooned there for years and uh, that uh, they'll appreciate any help that Kirk could give them. Uh, they don't know anything about the power source, but let him go look, let Kirk and the away the team go look. Alright, so while they're looking uh, for the power source, they find like a broken rocket uh, and then they keep going, and then they find this little creature who then tells them the real story about why everybody's on that asteroid. Come to find out, the asteroid is really a prison for uh, people with life sentences. So uh, pe these uh, people are sent to this asteroid to just wait and die. Uh, they, uh, they know that the asteroid is unstable and that the inmates uh, will die at any moment when the asteroid blows up. Uh, the original group find that Kirk's talking to this new guy, and they uh, start fighting again. Uh, meanwhile, back on the ship, Spock finds a way to free the Enterprise, and then he tells Ahura, which we'll talk about in a minute, doesn't really look like Ahura, but he tells her to call Kirk and tell him to get ready for beam-up. Uh, Kirk cannot get beamed up at the time because he's being attacked, and they don't want to accidentally beam up some of these prisoners. Um, long story short, Kirk and company are uh, captured, and then Spock discovers that the planet will blow up in four hours. Now, are these planets or asteroids? Asteroids, excuse okay. me. Because they call but, them planets at times in the book, yeah, too. Yeah, and they have vegetation and stuff, so it's a, it's a very big asteroid. Yeah. And obviously there's gravity. They're not floating around. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, then part two. So uh, Kirk's making a, a uh, captain's log while he's, while he's imprisoned by this guy, which is kind of cool. Um, Spock, and he's actually talking to Spock over the phone, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's, he tells... Over the tricorder. Yeah, it is a big tricorder. Yeah, it's not even a communicator. So he's telling Spock that, uh, that these are prisoners, and um, the, the leader says that, uh, you know, we'll let you go if you send some of our guys up there with you uh, and save them. Spock agrees, and then Kirk uh, does not. So then Kirk has this, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Spock has this great idea and tells Scotty to go build these little rockets that resemble the one that uh, the away team saw on the prison planet. Uh, they build this little ship, and the ship flies over the, the away team and the uh, aliens, and the aliens like, oh, they, they know they're about to die in four hours, and they see this other rocket, and they think it's another prisoner, and they're going to go sure. steal all the money, or excuse me, steal all the food off the ship so uh, they can have one last feast before they die. Uh, anyways, as the, the rocket crashes into the, the uh, ground, aliens go to attack. Uh, Spock just beams up the away team because nobody else is there to uh, get caught up in the beam. And then the asteroid blows up, and it's over. That's it. The end. The end. The asteroid planet blowed up. 
blowed up really good. Yes, it did. Okay. All right. So uh, we kind of missed on the first one, but I thought we were going to rate these. So well, for issue number one, I, I had ratings. So what what was you going to rate the uh, the first one? Well, I got to tell you, I thought the first one was pretty stupid, so <laughs> I gave it a two out of five. Two out of five. E- even though, as you pointed out off off air, uh, I this this of all the comics. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember this issue. I remember reading this issue. I remember having this issue. Um, but looking back on it now, almost like watching a Lost in Space episode, I realized uh, it was kind of dumb. So two out of two out of five. The plants were pretty dumb. And I'll give it a three out of five. I liked it. Uh, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was. Uh, I just thought it was. It was good. It, it was. To me, I would rate it almost as much as many of the original series, the TV show. Oh my god! Uh, they're, oh, they're oh, not. I, I hope you mean the third season. Okay. Ah, <laughs> because oh, I'm sorry. This is nothing like seasons one and two. Uh, all right. There were some bad episodes in those two. And and, and 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 when I say bad, I mean it's still Star Trek, so it's still great. But some are just not as good as others. And I would say that the, that comic was kind of middle of the road. It was. I liked how it was uh, above and beyond anything they could have done on the TV show, with the plant monsters and the giant Venus flytrap. Uh, but uh, I, I, ju- I just, just, I just hope they would never try to do something like this, even if they had the budget. Did you so not see the uh, the new movie had a, quite a bit of uh, alien creatures that? Well, that's fine, but they weren't plants. Mutating people, I guess. Do you remember in Lost in Space, bring up Lost in Space, there was an episode where the protagonist of the episode was dressed in a giant carrot suit? Remember that? No. And the green stalk was coming out of his head, and it's like, it was a carrot suit. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just afraid if Star Trek would have went to this, they would have had people dressed up in (laughs) carrot suits. Yes. All right, so rating for issue number two. Number two, Devil's Isle of Space. I gave it a three. Three. I thought there were there were some things that were kind of questionable about it, but overall, I, I was okay with it. Yeah, I gave it three as well. Um, I thought the name was funny. The Devil's Isle of Space um, could have also been called Australia in Space. True. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Botany Bay. Was that was that in Australia? Botany Bay. Yeah, Botany Bay. But also the little imprisonment of Khan. Well, that too, if you want to bring that into it. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, the lights just went out. Literally, in the room. That's funny. All right, so anyways, uh, they right on the first page, they mix up whether it's a planet or an asteroid. Um, then they talk about being uh, 5,000 feet from the uh, planet. Surface? Doesn't that seem kind of low? How how high do fl- planes fly? Um, thirty-five thousand feet. Right. Yeah. And so this is just a little bit higher than that. Right. And it's still like in orbit because the planet's still really tiny. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Some inconsistencies. Then they beam down again with the big gigantic transporter uh, sh- uh, bubble. <laughs> yes, the transporter bubble container. That at least in the in the ceiling has the individual uh, transporter sensor things. Right. All right, and then they don't wear their away away mission suits like they did in the first issue. Now they're back to just the the TV norm of More just their normal red, blue, and yeah, and no backpacks. Green. 
But they got the tricorders, which looks pretty cool. Yeah. So pretty pretty standard uh, fare. Of course, in this case, you're seeing Kirk with a tricorder because in these comic books, the tricorders are actually their communication devices. So, uh, again, maybe because the traditional communicator is too small to show up on the small panes of the panels of the comic book. Right. I don't know. Or maybe the artist, again, didn't know that they had communicators. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, then they're attacked by these uh, these these uh, prisoners, and I I kind of like the way they looked. They have these these big gigantic ears, and then this really broad face, mm -hmm. and they're green. Yep. Um, not much to say. Then the uh, the little guy shows up to tell him the real story. He he doesn't look at all like uh, the leader, Targu. Yeah, there appears to be two distinct uh, uh, races. species. Yeah, one's. Like really small and with the kind of a no mouth at all, and the other one looks very human, but with the big ears and the really broad nose. All right, then the little flashback scene. Anything there of uh, what really happened with them, with the with the uh, the one set of prisoners taking over the food from all the new prisoners, so that they can no, have but, all but the power. Exactly. So they basically give the backstory. Yeah. About how this uh, this leader. This nasty leader guy came to power. Right, and he takes over all the other uh, prisoners. Yeah, he takes over the prisoners and then eventually takes over the landing party. Yes, he does. I do find it funny that um, Spock is the one that figures out how to get the ship away from the, the giant power source, which I'm assuming is some sort of big force field of some sort. Tractor beam of some Tractor kind. beam. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah. But uh, he talks about cross, uh, cross, uh, short circuiting the force field to, to break clear, and then he tells Scotty, and this guy does not look at all like Scotty. No, not at all. And then he turns around and starts talking to a woman who's wearing yellow at a like an old timey radio, this big gigantic uh, microphone in her hand, and it, it looks yeah. like it has dials from like Vietnam era. Yeah, and radio. actually, quite frankly, it, it, it she almost looks Asian. She looks very Asian, and she's, you know, she's colored. She's white. Uh, yeah, pink. Yeah. So she doesn't look at Kahora, but her hair, maybe? Yeah, maybe, although it's not, not high enough. Right. But, yeah. And she's wearing yellow instead of red. Exactly. All right, so then they're attacked by a tiny, or they get captured with a tiny net, which I always <laughs> find funny that uh, these little nets can stop you and just make you fall to the ground. I know there's some real science to it, but uh, it just looks funny when someone just throws a tiny net on you, and then the next panel you're on the ground and you can't get out of the tiny net. <laughs> Could be really heavy. Ma well, really it has, dense metal. has some sort of rocks on the on the ends. Maybe. All right. Then again, show Scotty. He has like blonde, uh, curly hair, but he's at least wearing a red shirt. And then, he, then uh, Spock says that uh, he knows that the planet's going to blow up in four hours because the core is molten. But it, cool. aren't all... Uh, I'm, I'm about to hit pit, uh, part two. Aren't all uh, planets have molten cores? Um, no. Or is it a solid core with a molten... Uh... Well, the Earth has a molten core. Right. And that's part of the reason why, uh, why we have earthquakes and things like that. Um... Planets like uh, Mercury or, uh, well, Venus has a molten core, too, apparently, because of all the volcanic activity. But uh, some planets are quite solid. Right, but they don't have life. 
Exactly. Right. Exactly. And why? Because it's the molten core that allows it to have enough heat in order to sustain life. So if it's like the moon, which has a uh, a non that's a solid, solid yeah, body. It's, it, yeah. It can't hold its own heat. That's why it's so barren. Right. All right. So, part two. You have anything up till then? Uh, not really. But I will. I will comment that this is the first one, at least that I've noticed. But part two actually has a different title. No, oh, yeah, it does. The Secret of Extinction Asteroid. Exactly. So it's not merely just a part two. It's actually got its own name. Yeah. And I do like how. You know, it always bothered me in the original TV series when you would come back from commercial and you would get this voiceover from Kirk giving a supplemental captain's log, yeah. and yet he's there in a prison cell captured or yeah, chained right, up right. or something. You're like, when did you make this? Well, and obviously then, it was made at a later point in time. He says, I'm being I'm in prison. I understand what you're saying, and it was a good refresher for anybody who maybe just came in from, exactly. the, from the commercial break. Exactly. But I like how in this tra this uh, comic, he's actually doing the captain's log right there into the tricorder. Yeah. All right. They talk about uh, killing whole galaxies, uh, these guys, these uh, prisoners. So these are some bad dudes. Maybe uh -huh. they killed that planet, the whole galaxy that Kelly Green got blown up for. It was really these guys. All right. Uh, I don't really have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I thought the ship design was kind of interesting, um, where they're showing the uh, the penal ships that bring the convicts onto the planet. Yeah, they look like little eggs with these cool-looking fins. Yeah, you know, different. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. And I like how when it shows them in the, in the pods, they're just kind of like strapped in. They can't even get out of their pods while the ship's in flight. Right, which is really difficult to... Uh... Well, you know, biological functions. Well, hopefully it's a short trip. Hopefully really short. <laughs> or they didn't have coffee before they got on board. Right. So then he talks about how he saw a sister asteroid blow up, and that's how they knew that they were going to blow up at some point, I think. And then I find it funny that uh, Kirk, or Spock is okay with beaming up a few of the prisoners, but Kirk isn't. And I still don't understand why they can't just beam them up and then just zap them with the yeah, phasers exactly. as soon as they exactly. materialize. Or is the scanner technology not good enough that you can't distinguish between these alien guys and humans? Possibly no. not. Possibly not. Uh, I bet Picard could do it. Well, yeah, but that's 100 years later. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I do find it funny that uh, when, when Spock has the idea of building this little ship, he says, Shades of Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a little note. I was like, Spock would never say this. No. He no. might say marshmallow. But he's not going to say great marshmallow. <laughs> Shades of Pluto. All right. Yeah. And, then, and then, again, this is the spot where you're talking about the reference to Scotty. Yeah, right. The guy does not look like Scotty he at all. He doesn't look at all like Scotty. Okay, so who does he look like? No idea. Who do you think? I don't know. Uh, I'm think actually, do you know who he looks like? A little bit, at least with the big old huge jaw and chin and with the cleft. He looks like Dick Van Dyke's son, who was in Battlestar Galactica 1986, or well, whatever, that, that, oh, that the, second the series. The 1980 one? The 19th, yeah, the next one. Yeah. Where Adama only has a beard, and everybody else is like old and dead, yep. like Apollo and stuff. Right. And Boxy's the main character. Yeah. His buddy uh, is I, Dick Van Dyke's son, and he's got this big jaw and big cleft in the chin. That's who he looks like. I that's think. funny. Okay. I'll take your word for it. 
Alright, so then Scotty's able to build up this little fake ship pretty dang quick. He is Scotty. Yep, the miracle worker. And then I like how the uh, the bad guy's just like, one last meal, woohoo, let's get him. And then Kirk just says, beam me up, and they're done. Well, yeah, but the other thing... Oh, no, I take that back. No, another landing party shows up, don't they? Well, they're in the ship. It's like I was thinking, why would you do that? You send the ship down, you don't sacrifice any people, and and load it with explosives or something. That's Uh, right. And then beam the landing party down by your own people. But but no. And they fight their way over there. I, I know. Okay, so you got all these guys running at you. So now you gotta get through all the all the bad the criminals, and to get to your people that are on the other side of all the criminals, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it nope. didn't make much logical nope. sense. No, nope. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And then once they beam everybody back up, first thing Spock yells, "All rockets on full!" <laughs> and, he's, cells, and he is cells, yelling please. this. He is yelling this. You can tell. You can tell from the from the. From the uh, uh, from, 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 from the word balloon, it's just word balloon. That's it. That's exactly the right word. Yep. And then that last panel here on this this page where it shows, I guess, who's Scotty. To me, I think he looks like Will Ferrell here. Uh, when Will Ferrell when Will Ferrell plays uh, George Bush. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then they uh, they watch the planet blow up or the asteroid blow up, and they uh, they just blast off with the uh, exhaust blazing from the nacelles. And this time, it almost looks like it's coming out of the impulse engines. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's like, it's huge. fire. It's, it's like, huge. It's like this yellow fire. Yeah, because they're burning fuel. They're, they're burning liquid fuel. There. Yeah, we'll, we'll know that here in this next issue. Or no, that's issue number four. All right, that's it. So let's go on to All right. issue number three. Yeah. Okay, so um, number three. Issue number three. Invasion of the City Builders. Published... December 1968. So, as uh, you mentioned off offline, um, six months after the issue number two. Yep. So, they're not exactly uh, slaves to a hellacious schedule. But it just these things gives out. the kids more time to save up to 15 cents to buy the next issue. Wow, 15 cents. That is something. Okay. So, in this particular one, um, the teaser first panel of, of, of the comic... Uh, is showing Kirk, Spock, and some aliens are all being attacked by large tractors. You know, like like, like big Tonka toy tractors or something uh, that appear to be putting in place um, parts of buildings in, a, in an impressive-looking city. So, um, obviously there's some kind of mechanical stuff going on here, and indeed, as we will find out, this is truly a man-versus-machine themed story which at one point delves into man versus man but in the end comes back to man versus machine let's go ahead and see what happens okay so uh the crew uh, they, they show the uh, crew making repairs to the hull of the enterprise uh they had some kind of uh asteroids or something hit hit, hit some of the nacelles um in the meantime uh spock and kirk are looking at a history film, yeah, it's going to happen in the future, of the planet that they are heading towards. Planet question mark. Um, They arrive at the planet and discover the planet is almost completely covered with a planet-wide city. 
yet that city appears to be uninhabited. They beam down and are discovered by some local aliens. Um, specifically, they go and beam down at the edge of the city. So uh, apparently that's where some of the uh, local aliens are, at least some that they're able to make contact with. The crew sees some large city builders, uh, so huge machines that are coming in and actually constructing the city, and the aliens start attacking the machines um, without much effect, I, I might add. Kirk decides to help and blast the machines with a phaser rifle that he just so happens to be um, uh, carrying with him. Sure he was. Exactly. They always carry phaser rifles. Uh, and of course you didn't see any evidence of a phaser rifle in earlier panels, as I recall. Um, the, leader, the leader of the aliens, Krill, tells Kirk of their history. Uh, so long ago they started creating machines to do all of their work. Over time, the machines took over and could not be stopped. Uh, and in particular, the ones that could not be stopped are the ones that were expanding the city. The last of the living people are living outside of the city and are starving because they do not know how to farm or fix their farming equipment. Not to mention that they're rapidly losing uh, farmable land. Yep. Um, Kirk says uh, they will help in the Good Samaritan fashion that he does so frequently. Uh, part two. Kirk and crew... So in their attack of these, uh, of these city builder machines, uh, Kirk and crew uses a very handy soil destroyer's weapon of some kind, or device of some kind, that goes ahead and creates huge pits in which these, uh, these city builders are falling into. The machines fall in, they start uh, to... Uh, to build their way out. So they're actually smart machines that are able to figure out ways to get out. Kirk uses an energy generator to create force fields to hopefully stop the machines that have already extricated themselves out of the pits. Uh, yet they're unable, or that they are able to break through uh, the, the force shield as well. Everyone runs from the, from the machines to the other side of a lake, which is amazing to me how they could run to the other side of a lake. Well, they had boats. But... Well, they are, they're, not, they're not running then. Okay, so, so they take, take <laughs> boats yeah. and sail to their side um, to get away from them. And, of course, being very smart machines that actually can build just about anything, they build uh, huge bridges uh, to get them across. So uh, Kirk and Spock go to cut off a piece of the bridge that they're constructing for analysis. They are trying to find a weakness in this unusual uh, metal that's being used by these, uh, these city builders. Um, while trying to do this, they are actually attacked by the leader of the uh, alien race named Krill, uh, who now thinks they are trying to steal his power. So here's the man versus man part. Um, they get the piece and explain uh, the piece of the bridge and explain their intentions. Spock finds a weakness in the metal. Common amino acid is the weakness. Very odd. Uh, and they plan to attack the machines. Uh, Krill says he will do it alone and risks his life, but succeeds um, in destroying uh, some of the machines. Empowered, the inhabitants use the amino acid guns to take back their planet, and the crew beams back to the Enterprise. Uh, no mention on how they were going to teach them how to farm for themselves, unfortunately. Details. Details! Okay, so there's the synopsis. Yep. Uh, but yet again... Uh, the Enterprise crew helps out a society 
that was not healthy and growing. So therefore, the prime directive did not stop them from getting involved. Well, aren't you not Which, supposed way, to even let... Ever, do they ever talk about the prime directive in these books? In these books so far, no. Yeah, I, I haven't read And it. I've read like 10 of them, and there's no talk of prime directive. Okay. Um, Just gets in the way but of good Now, in the first, in the, first uh, the original series, they talked about the prime directive, but it didn't have the same limitations that they have later on where they're not supposed to help any society that hasn't already made warp drive for themselves. Technologically. Right, yeah. Right, right. But in the old show, I remember them showing up and telling them that they're aliens and they're like these people in togas and stuff like that that are obviously not uh, space-faring folk. Mm-hmm. So w- was that something they changed later? or? Well, what happened is they introduced the idea of the Prime Directive, which was cool, and I believe that was actually Gene L. Coon's idea, if I remember correctly one of the producers of the original series, mm. um, to introduce that idea, which makes sense. But, yeah. of course, if it ever got in the way of a good uh, a good story, they'd pretty much just find an excuse to go around it. Right. And, and we haven't talked about it much, but uh, these comics obviously follow the same suit that the old TV show has, is mm-hmm. that as soon as the show's over, uh, somebody reaches over and hits reset. And uh, no storylines or no plot points ever carry over to the next episode. They're independent storylines, which is typically the way it was done in the 60s and 70s and a lot of other years, too. Yeah, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that uh, there there was no character development, really, other than uh, just some jokes, I guess, that they, they play off of later on. Yeah. Well, you can have character development. It's just... You're right. It's not. It's not. It's very. Was it episodic? Yeah. Standalone episodes right. as opposed to uh, a common like story a s- thread. Right. Right. Well, a story arc. Story right. arc. That's what they call it. Yeah. I don't necessarily even need a story arc, but I mean, if if you know somebody shoots their finger off in one issue or episode, he shouldn't have a finger in the next issue. I agree with that. But I will also mention that in some TV series like Stargate, which I know you're not, you don't watch much, but. They're constantly making references to things that have happened in the past, hmm. and it's like I'm cool with it because I've seen all the episodes. You've seen it, yeah. But I can see where people—it's a little makes it a little less accessible for people getting into yeah, it. And, and that's why uh, you know, even though it's probably the best season, uh, season three of Enterprise lost a whole bunch of people because it was really one story arc throughout the whole series right. season, and it was probably the best season. But it was. I, I, did, I didn't like. Uh, but a lot of people didn't know what was going on, so they just quit watching it all together. Not too bad. Yep. Okay. Um, okay. So getting into this a little further, uh, I, I got to make some. I got to make some comments here. Uh, first off, yeah, on the first page, they're showing pictures of Spock and Kirk standing together, and Spock is actually holding a a film. Film reel. Yeah. A film reel. So he's actually got the film pulled out from the reel, and the reel is in his his left hand, and he's looking at the film. He's looking at the frames one at a time. Yeah, and he's saying, um, this is the planetary history file that he's looking at. And when he goes in to look at it, he (laughs) is looking at like a 52-inch monitor or something. And When I got into the computer biz a long time ago, we used to have these Darth Vader terminals. That, that, that and we would call them Darth Vader because they were huge and they were black and they looked ominous. Uh, they were like 18, they were for an AT&T project. And, um, and they were a fraction of the size of this thing. This thing is huge. Yeah, but w- when I look at this, it reminds me of the old, um, uh, what is it, microfish 
Uh, yeah. Stuff that you oh, used true. to go look at at the library, where I you would agree stick it that. in, and then you. It even looks like he's using one of those little dials to kind exactly. of like to move the, move the move the film yeah. around. Only so, look at the size of it. It's gigantic. Yeah. Well, I guess in the future they have enough technology to make large microfish readers. Yeah. Now you skip the first uh, the first panel here, which shows the crewmen working outside of the ship. Yeah. And my question is, <clears throat> where are they? Because. Yeah. They're actually, it looks like they're working on, like, the bottom of a nacelle. I agree. But then underneath them is this weird-looking, well, okay. bulbous, round thing. Yeah, so it, so when I first looked at it, it said, hey, that looks like two the, the two nacelles. But the orientation of it is totally wrong. Right. But then I thought, okay, maybe that's the engineering section. The one on the bottom? It's the the one, one on the bottom. Yeah, it's the only thing it could be, but it's so small compared it, to it, the it, nacelle it, it that they're does. working on. It does. But I figured it had to be the engineering. It's uh, the only thing. It, logically, it's the only thing. But I like how the little, I guess, where the uh, landy craft come in, if that's what it is. It's all, like, uh, chrome-colored. So it's, like, oh, I see. normal ship color. And then the very tip is, like, chrome. Uh, or pink or something. Yeah, kind of pinkish chrome. Yeah, so, again, another reference to the nacelles being rocket engines. And rocket engine number four. Yeah, war is number four. What was that about? So, okay. There's only two rockets. Yeah, it, 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 there's only two. Okay, if you don't count the impulse engines, there's two warp drive engines. So where is number four? Even if you add them all up, and I say number four is the engineering section, because mm-hmm. we've seen multiple times in these the, these hacks. I mean, I'm sorry, the, these fine comics With where the they've got the fire out. coming out of the engineering section. <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. I, I just got. I just got to mention. No, that. I had that. Now, he calls it Planet Question Mark. He actually calls it Planet Question Mark. Yeah. Uh, later on, we'll find out that its name is really Zarta, but uh, he calls it Planet Question Mark. There you go. All right, so they watch some films, and, and some of these films are actually kind of funny because it shows like people like on a picnic or something lounging like by a pool. Yeah, a life of comfort. Yeah. Um, another thing that's uh, a little annoying, and I hate to be picking oh. up negative things, but... Yes, that's what? awesome. What um, okay so so Captain is is talking about um, okay so so, so uh, over the over the loudspeaker uh, they're talking they, they have uh, units of time such as two lunar hours one galaxy minute sir yep that's that's their ETA to get to planet question mark exactly a galaxy two minute lunar, I mean, okay okay of course the month on Earth is based on. A lunar cycle. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that. But a galaxy minute? What's that about? Yeah. A oh, galaxy I minute? think we we missed it, but uh, uh, we'll talk about it later. Anyway. But yeah, they they have all so. kinds of crazy uh, uh, time references and uh, yeah and um, money. They talk about money in one of these where it's like some sort of. Uh, astrological currency or something oh, like really? that. It. it it might be even later on, not these four, but Capricorn dollars. So, anyways, then they get to the, they fly over the planet, and they're like flying like just over the buildings. Oh yeah, and that flame is just shooting out from the the rear. Yeah, so this this this, this is like a helicopter flight. <laughs> well, okay, maybe a little high for a helicopter, but still, this is like a jet on approach, uh, coming into an airport. Right, and according to this continuity, these ships hold thousands of crew members. Mm. So this would be like, you know, those uh, Independence Day ships or the, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Gigantic. Okay. All right. So uh, 
they actually talk about the rockets and then they beam down um, and they're spied on by those uh, the three aliens. Right. So, so some of the few inhabitants of this land are uh, are looking at the landing party, and uh, indeed uh, appear that maybe they'll do something to the landing party. But in the meantime, they're uh, confronted by these huge buildings with yeah. huge tracks and that now, are constructing things. For now, this. the aliens I think look actually pretty cool. And when I say cool, I mean kind of sixty-ish. But uh, they're wearing like these purple jumpsuits right. uh, with cut-off sleeves, so their right. arms are bare. But they're purple they got... jumpsuits, yellow boots, and these uh, like uh, um, THX uh, type white helmets. Yeah, white cop helmets. Right. And then the big tractors attack them. Oh, I did make a little note. This is just being stupid, I guess. But uh, Kirk, when the uh, ground starts shaking, he says, "The ground is shaking. Earthquake." <laughs> I, I made a note. I was like, "What? It's no planet? Question mark? Quake?" Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Well, considering how they've adjusted time measurements for being on different planets, they haven't uh, adjusted earthquake terminology. I guess not. Okay, so uh, yeah. All right. So then the uh, the three guys jump onto the uh, city guys. builder. Yeah, the three aliens uh, jump on the city builder. That's uh, it looks weird because it's like a big green uh, tractor that looks like it's with these huge cranes. Yeah. And then on top of the cranes is like a big another tractor that's like uh, that's like shoveling, yeah. I guess, some sort of metal or something. But it's like all. Maybe yeah, like cement or something. It, it, it's weird. It's yeah. a weird design. But, but it does get across the main it's point. It's alien. Huge, alien. huge construction devices. Yeah. Machines. Yep. So in all these panels, uh, the landing crew only have these uh, belts with the, a big white, yellow, uh, white belt buckle mm -hmm. and backpacks. Yeah. And then when they see that the uh, aliens need help, uh, suddenly Kirk has this big, gigantic uh, phaser rifle. And Which he could have pulled out of the backpack, you never know. And I put a little note here that uh, this reminds me of As the... As opposed to what uh, you were suggesting. The Batzooka from, the, Batzooka. Uh, from the, the Batman TV show, which was coming on at this time, where Batman would just reach behind his uh, in his cape and pull out this big, gigantic bazooka. Exactly. You always wondered where that came from. Exactly. All right. And then um, Kirk sees these guys and wants to talk to them, and he... Uh, Kirk speaks in the interplanetary language Esperinta. What is Esperinta? Do they? Uh, I've have... never heard of that before. It's never been spoken before. Esperanta. And uh, don't they have internet? Uh, they got they got universal uh, the translation. Universal translation. Why even go there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you, the universal you, language. You can't sufficiently explain it, so why even go there? <laughs> exactly. Why not just have you start talking and everybody will just go with it? Just like the TV show. Exactly. All right. Of so, course, Farscape did an interesting thing with that. What they do? Oh, you they had the little have microbes bugs. that would actually translate whatever anybody said to you. Right. Kind of like Crichton got shot with in the first episode. Right. Kind of like the babblefish from. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Uh, Gal uh, Hitchhiker's Guy. Hitchhiker's Guy of the Galaxy. And then the also, uh, what was... Oh, never mind. I was thinking of another... Oh, 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 Doctor Who, where uh, supposedly the TARDIS... Uh, oh, translates ...was for you? like, uh, imprint uh, the language onto your uh, brain. 
so that you would read everything in English even though it was really written in some other language. Oh. And you would hear everybody speaking in English. So that's how they explained it, eh? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. All right, so then he, uh, the Krill, starts telling them the story about their life, and it kind of shows the same pictures that we saw in the <clears> video, <throat> people lounging around while something's mowing their yard. Yeah, uh, doing all the work Drinking, for yeah. Now, do you think they're trying to make a comment on today's society or the 1960s oh, the, society? Perhaps the dangers hmm. that could be on the horizon for us. Wow, well, at least we, we've nixed that over the last 40 years, though, thank goodness. <laughs> we have yes no i think it's funny but yeah. what, what's really funny is that they don't know how to farm anymore and that the one machine that was doing the farming for them a single gear broke and they don't know how to make this new this, they don't know how to recreate this one gear kind of jumping ahead but uh yeah, and, and i gotta say just like skynet and that kind of stuff in terminator films they gotta be these machines have to fix themselves I mean, they do. On. You can see it right there. They fix themselves. Um, like uh, here on like two more pages that shows the uh, police uh, vehicles like shooting it, and actually it shows them like ramming the the ship with the ramming the tractor with their little police ships, yeah. and then they just rebuild themselves. But uh, but they can't make that gear. But what I think is funny, they say that it's been uh, a hundred years since this all happened. And in all the flashbacks, everybody wears the same purple jumpsuits with the same white boots and the same white helmets. Um, you don't think you really fashion would have changed in a hundred really years? Expecting, uh, some consistency or things make sense here. <laughs> and what I think is funny is that the uh, they get the machines. Uh, the machines start to buy in stocks for them, so it starts controlling the stock market. Yeah. And so it knows when to buy uh, and may, and take all the money, but. Yeah, and look at look, it's actually saying the machine buy, sell, sell, buy. <laughs> but in order for somebody to make money on the stock market, somebody has to lose money on the stock market. Yeah. So if all the computers are controlling the completely trolling the whole stock market, yeah. why would anybody lose anything? It would I don't know. How would they make anything? Exactly. All right, so 100 years everybody still wears the same clothes. Oh, and here they mm -hmm. call um in less than a moon month it was finished and that was like well they finally got it a moon month that's what a month is but uh, makes more I still sense haven't figured out minute. what a galaxy minute is or a lunar hour I've heard of New York minutes but not galaxy minutes <laughs> alright so machines building themselves uh, he can't fix his own um, farm equipment um, Kirk says or Spock says why don't we why don't you just farm yourself and he basically says I, we don't know how and then Spock says, we'll teach you. There you go. So uh, this is kind of like Idiocracy. The movie I, have, I haven't seen that yet. But uh, why is it like Idiocracy, kid? Well, in the film Idiocracy, uh, people, as they moved forward in the future, became dumber and dumber and didn't know how to fix anything and ends up having collapsed bridges and buildings everywhere, and they're all just a bunch of lunkheads walking around. Maybe the writers of Idiocity read this comic. Idiocity, and, yes. and it was like, we'll just base a whole movie on these guys. Perhaps, perhaps. Did they wear purple jumpsuits? No. They tended to wear T-shirts with uh, writing on them. Uh, at least they could still read. Yeah, there you go. Kind of. All right, so they, they get there. Um, part two... Kirk decides to help them, and they 
throw these uh, soil disintegrators, earth disintegrators. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I guess they're like some sort of, some sort of grenade. Yeah. Could I also mention that, again, we have a different title for part two. The Bridge to Catastrophe. Yes. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is supposed to be like a two-parter uh, episode of the series. Maybe. Or they just had some extra room up there at the top. <laughs> All right, so they uh, not much to say until Kirk suddenly pulls out this gigantic machine that does the force field. Right. It is huge. It reminds me of the laser that they get in, um, and I say laser because it was a laser in yeah, the original uh, the cage episode of Star Trek. Menagerie. Yep. Remade no, into was, Menagerie. Yeah, right. It looked a lot like this. So, but it was it's the only time I ever remember Star Trek they had some other equipment yeah. beamed down with them to serve some sort of purpose. Uh, and yeah, they do play that in this one. They do. In the next issue, they actually have vehicles and stuff, which is actually pretty cool. All right, so suddenly this uh, this generator's there. They try to keep the, uh, the machines inside the ditch that they built, and yet they broke out. Anything there? All right, uh, Spock talks to a uh, through the tricorder again. <laughs> yes. And uh, then the amino acid they find just simple amino acid can burn through the the, the metal. Sure. Which isn't amino acid all through your body, so you don't think anybody's yeah. ever died by one of these machines <laughs> and then bled a little bit. Well, obviously that'd be some kind right of special it. amino acid. Well, maybe it's earth amino acid and not. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Question mark. But the main point is, they're able to use that weakness, that one weakness, in these city builders. Yep. And they're able to use that to overcome the dastardly city building machines. Now, when uh, Krill risks his life to uh, kill these uh, machines, all he does is spray this amino acid on the bridge that it's building, and then the yep. bridge falls down, and all the, the machinery falls into this lake. Mm-hmm. Um, the machines aren't waterproof. They can't like build a little scuba tank underneath the water and come back up. I mean, we, I we've already seen that they're very smart. They are very smart. But, uh, but once, they did it. once they hit the water, they're gone. Uh, and then it just... Uh, <coughs> so then... basically they move on from there with uh, a lot more of this uh, this acid and just start spraying everything, I guess. Yep. Hope they don't accidentally spray it all over their farming equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't fix it anyway, so... That's <laughs> true. Now, when they uh, when they find out that they that Krill is still alive and he comes back all broken and bleeding and stuff from the water, uh, look at Spock. He's like pumping his hand up in the air, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very Spock-like. That's no. highly uh, illogical. But um, it shows emotion. It does. Um, and then they, uh, they they just start running around, squirting everything with this amino acid and. They beam up, and the flames uh, leap from the ship, and they're gone. Exactly. And the flame is from the uh, the turbo engines, of course. Or turbo. rockets, or whatever. The rockets. I rockets, just keep yeah. thinking of uh, uh, so Batman. Yeah, and at least this is showing... Is it coming out of the engineering section, It's too? not coming no. out of the engineering Good. section. Good. Just from the cells, yeah. Okay. And that's it. So, uh, for whatever reason, I thought this was a little bit better than the than the other ones we've we've gone through, and so I gave it a three and a half. A three and a half. We're doing halves, dude. Well, I have to because I can't give it a four. It, it just doesn't deserve a four. Um, I will give this maybe a 
A two and a half then. A two and a half. If we're gonna do halves. All right. So, so these things below, below, below. I, I think out of the two that we've list, read, other the other two that yeah. we've read, it's my least favorite out of those okay. three. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. So uh, on number four, let's go. All right. Issue number four: The Peril of the Planet Quick Change. Amazing. Now this one we're gonna go a little faster with because we're we're going to, we're running a little long. We're running long. So this came out in June 1969. Another six months after issue number three. All right, so the little teaser page, uh, Spock and Kirk are on the planet being transformed while they're on it. I uh, just wanted to make a little note about the cover on this one. It looks like an Andy Warhol uh, painting. It has, like, the Enterprise in different colors. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a red, orange, blue one. So I yeah. just thought that was funny. And also, I want to mention... has absolutely nothing to do with the series. I want to mention that the, above the Enterprise and to the left, uh, on the cover, there's uh, some kind of alien guy there. Yep, that doesn't look and like I anything wanna ask, in this show. Exactly. I'm looking at that alien guy. It's like, he doesn't look like he would... I, I've never seen him in Star Trek. No. So is he from, like, oh, The Outer Limits know. or what? Oh, I, didn't, I thought he was just from the old show, but I don't know who he is. No, he, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I like the little tagline on the cover where it says, An alien form invades the Enterprise through Spock's mind. Da, da, da. That, would, that would get you into it. All right, so real quick. Uh, aboard the Enterprise, Spock is researching a planet uh, that the scanners show is being reformed at incredible speeds. Uh, it's called Planet Metamorphia. Real original name. All right, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy and some others beam down to investigate uh, because they find out that there's a metal called Tiantium. Ty- yeah. So however you pronounce that. Tiantinium. Tiantinium? Yeah, so Whatever. anyways, this this ore is what powers the ships and uh, will give them enough power to, uh, you know, cross the galaxies and back. So, yeah. And I'm sorry. No dilithium crystals here. Yeah. And as we, dis- as we, as we know, dilithium crystals are used for focusing the, matty, ma- the anti... The matter... The anti-matter, matter, anti-matter uh, reaction, explosion. Yep, yep. All right, so... So um, what's this stuff? So they beam down, and as soon as they beam down, they start uh, the planet starts changing. Uh, then they start getting attacked by these little light things, and Spock starts shooting them, and then they start engulfing him, and then they just disappear. Uh, more planet switching. Uh, they fall into some water, and then Spock uses like superhuman strength to pull them all out. And while he's pulling them out single-handedly, he uh, calculates that by removing the titanium, uh, will fix the planet back to normal, uh, he devises a way, uh, he devises well, a big plan, and then you've come to find out he's actually communicating with the uh, the lights that were attacking him earlier. Uh, and he comes up that he's going to send a rocket through the crust of the planet. Uh, the lights tell him the story of the planet, and that his Vulcan DNA will revert the lights back into people. Uh, Spock uh, goes and gets the last chemical needed from this cave that the planet, the, the creatures told him about. Uh, and he's getting ready to launch the uh, rocket into the crust, and then the planet starts changing again. Part two. Uh, Spock uh, guides the crew to a, a cave where they can ride out the planet change. Uh, he walks back up and realigns the rocket and fires it. The rocket explodes in the, co- uh, explodes in the core of the planet and releases this green gas that reverts uh, all the aliens back to life. And like five uh, of these little... Aliens come out of Spock's brain that were uh, the original lights that we saw earlier. Yeah, alien light forms. 
<laughs> alien Which I thought light. was kind of They actually clever. say that? Yeah. Okay, alien, alien light, force. light force. Nice. Uh, and then the rest of the planet is also reformed, including buildings and <coughs> other such structures. All right, so the people offer Kirk the ore, like 200, um, not pounds. They have another weird uh, form of measurement, but 200 of whatever they are. And then Spock just starts freaking out. Uh, then come to find out one of the spirits that uh, was helping him earlier did not leave his body with the other ones. And he wants to share his soul so that he can go and see the rest of the galaxy. An evil alien light form. I don't know if he's really evil. He just wants no. to get out. He, he, wa he, wa yeah, he wants to go out and see the galaxy. Yeah. Maybe several galaxies. At this rate, yeah. All right, so while uh, Spock runs off uh, to try to rid himself of the spirit, Kirk and company get some shovels and just start digging. Uh, when they're done, Spock returns, and uh, Kirk realizes that he's sick, and they all beam up. Uh, Spock uh, tries to tell them that the uh, spirit hasn't left him, but the spirit won't let him talk. Uh, the crew try to take him to sickbay. Uh, then he escapes and heads straight to the transporter room. Uh, while in the transporter room, he sets the, the controls uh, to beam him back, back to the planet and to return him back at the same time. Uh, the resulting opposing forces of the teleporter rip the spirit out of his body, which promptly disintegrates. Uh, and then Spock is fine. He's drinking a glass of water, and McCoy makes some jokes. The end. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Yeah. So okay. um, not a lot to talk about this no. one. I will mention that the that the planet at the beginning, especially the, uh, the beginning, uh, you know, teaser page, reminded me of Planet Genesis. It, uh, yeah, a lot of this reminded me of Planet Genesis. The the, the whole life, uh, the whole uh, planetscape changing really right. fast, and it was just reminding me of that. The uh, yeah, the uh, Star Trek Three Planet Genesis, not the asteroid that they had a very stable uh, environment in, in Part Two. Uh, yet another galaxy they're running through. Galaxy Telpha Z, I think, or Telpha, or is it Telpha 2? Right. Mm. But what's funny is that when, when Spock's, like, looking at his scanners, it oh. says that they're 300,000 miles away, which seems far. So the first, the, this last issue seemed like they're only, like, 5,000 <laughs> miles, 5,000 feet from the, from the surface. Yeah. And in this one, their scanners can read 300,000 miles away. Yeah. Why they're using miles and not kilometers like they do in the show, I don't know. Good question. All right, so uh, they beam down. Okay, can I mention just before they beam down? Yeah. Got to mention this. Uh, being a tech guy, I'm looking at Spock, who's at a science console, looking at the readouts. <laughs> and what come, what is he reading off of? He is reading off of printer paper that's all connected, you know, you know, like old dot matrix printers yeah. coming out of his wall of computers. And in fact, Spock is looking at this sheet of long sheet of paper, looking at the graph, the line, the line charts and everything going, hmm. No, that's, that's Kirk, not Spock. No, I, well, I thought I, I thought I said Spock. No, it's, I mean, Kirk. it's Kirk. I, I said Kirk. So, uh, yeah, so even Kirk has it out of the machine. He's, he's looking at it. So, I mean, I'm looking at this thing. I'm going, oh my God. Okay. So when I went through college too long ago. We used to use uh, DEC PDP 1170 uh, uh, PCs, or not PCs, they, 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 were, they were computers, uh, multi-user uh, computer things. But you didn't have terminals. I mean, your terminal was a keyboard with a printer attached to it. Mm. So, and I'm looking at this thing going, 
Oh my god. But I like how... Not a very good look in the future. Kirk's even like rubbing his chin. Mmm. Mm, we what must those... do something. I, I understand what those lines mean. <laughs> yeah, they're just like a line graph. Alright, so uh, I did find it funny that when the planet started changing, they started seeing like broken uh, buildings and stuff underneath the crust when the new mountains were being formed. I thought that was kind of funny. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that um, the guy working the transporter when they beam down. Oh, is that is that Sulu? Uh, could be Sulu. Could be. Yeah. He's an Asian guy. He he is Asian looking. Uh, and he's got the green shirt, which is at least close to the gold of command. But um, and and where he's sitting looks actually where he's sitting looks just like the uh, the, the the helmsman's uh, station. Only obviously it's in the in with the transport transporter chamber. chamber. Uh, whatever, which is glass encased. It is. I do like it. I do think it's funny that they go into a lot of detail about what the transporter is actually doing here. Gradually, the bodies begin to dissolve, blend into the ether of time. A split second later, they appear on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, this is already the fourth issue, and the TV series is actually over at this point. So. Yeah. You probably know what a transporter is. If not, probably. you're probably not buying this comic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I do like Spock's super strength, and nobody – I mean, they do kind of question it, and he gives it a, well, I have adrenaline. That's his <laughs> answer. Yeah, not, that's not very good. Uh, from from an art, from a, uh, artistry standpoint, I'm very interested in the particular panel, which actually shows three Spocks. Right. In a wide panel uh, where he's basically doing a pretty pretty cool dance. I mean, he'd probably be pretty good on a dance floor. He's at a being attacked by the light beams. Uh, yeah, but look at the moves. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. could be a dance. It could be. And this is not the only time they do the three Spock panel. Which which I like. It kind of shows. I, I kinda it it kind of gives I, you I the, like the, the illusion of movement. Exactly. They're getting across the full point, although uh, many of the moves look like... Uh, yeah, now He's having a good time you're bringing up the, the art. I have to. This art, compared to other comic books that were coming out of the '60s, right. is really good. Is it? It has backgrounds. Almost every panel has backgrounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's relatively good detail in almost everything. Mm-hmm. So even though they're not the greatest uh, storylines story or even the greatest art at the time, this was really good compared good. to other comic books at the '60s. So just just a little. Nugget of information. All right, so then we, uh, when Spock's coming up with his plans, they suddenly have these big, gigantic Federation trucks, <laughs> which uh, are awesome, with these big tractor trailer or these tractor treads. Yeah, and it looks like it's a multi-segmented kind of vehicle. Yeah, kind of. You know, like it's like a, a caterpillar kind of thing, and not a caterpillar a truck, but kind of like. Uh, a long caterpillar kind of thing where right. the different segments are joined somehow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I really liked it. Uh, the only thing I'm not crazy about is the chrome bumper. That looks like <laughs> the bumper from my father's Impala. It, it does look pretty funny. And it, yeah, just the coloring. It's from the, 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 from the, the 60s. The truck, the tractor is all green and then the, the, the bumper is like really white. It's like white chrome. chrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they got the bumper guards, you know, in case you gotta, you gotta move somebody out of the road, out of the way. And then uh, the away team, again, just wearing their normal clothes, but with the big belt with the white buckle for some reason. Yeah. And backpacks. Yep. 
But these are more comfortable backpacks than what like we'll see in uh, 30 issues from now. Exactly, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, when when Spock is getting told the uh, story of the planet, uh, when the, it shows the people being like dissolved by the planet, it actually looks pretty cool. They kind of look like rotting zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a cool And, and again, they're referring to these folks as life forms. Yeah, you know what? When I read I this, the, when a... I read this, I did not catch it. I read life forms. Yeah, that's it's, funny. It's, a, it's a nice little little spin. A little play on words. Yeah. All right, I'm not a big fan of them talking about how uh, these these light forms are a uh, super evolved version of humans. Uh, Star Trek does that quite a bit, where eventually we're going to evolve into these into all light yeah. or energy forms. Yeah, which which you know just you know reminds me of Yoda. Luminous beings, are we? Luminous beings, are we? All right, so they build the rocket. Nothing much to say there. I do like it when the rocket is, like, drilling through the dirt. It kind of looks pretty cool. Yeah. A little uh, draining the center of the earth kind of thing. Yeah, and then when it, as, soon as, the it, as soon as it gets to the bottom, it doesn't explode, so it's not, like, really a... Well, I guess it does kind of explode, but... Well, look, it says... Yeah. Kafanum. Or and a big explosion. So, uh, yep, I lied. It it blew up big time. Blew up real good. And then this green mist comes out. Yeah. All right. Then like everybody starts like being pulled out of Spock's brain. Not Spock's brain, where he has to tell McCoy how to do surgery on his brain because yeah, that's a great that's a great episode there. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that is the worst. That is the worst of the ser- of the series of the uh, season three horrid episodes. Yeah. All right. So I like how everybody's like dressed in like a medieval wear. Kind so of. all the the reformed people, right? Kind of wearing like, kind of he manish, but also with a little bit of like Middle Ages type look. Yeah. I just thought it was yeah. a, it was an uh, interesting look. I thought I I kind of like that they uh, they have a reference to uh, space pioneers. Uh, the the Enterprise crew being uh oh uh, yeah yeah space pioneers and then when awestruck uh, the space pioneers watch as second by second the incredible occurs well later on you'll start getting stuff like the star fleeters the star the star fleeters are doing this mm-hmm. and stuff like that so but the space pioneers i like because that's very rotten uh, roddenberry-esque oh is that right i mean that he used in, in his pitches wagon train to the, NBC. the stars exactly wagon train to the stars um, wagon train and space, you know, whatever. Yeah, I like it. I like when uh, when they tell him about they tell the leader about the uh, ore. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah, just go dig yourself up two hundred galaxy pounds." So uh, I don't know what a galaxy pound is either. Yeah, I don't know. And then we get the great page where Spock is being um, trying to get the spirit out of his head yeah. and he's just wailing his head on this pillar yeah so he's actually driving his head into a stone pillar and all the other people are like looking around going boy that guy's crazy <laughs> this is not one of spock's better ideas <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah, you can crack your skull yeah Even well, i think skull. i think that's what he was trying to do wow. let the crazy out leave a me bit. spirit leave me and then they just uh, beam up. Now, I find it funny. I don't know if they're waving, but in the last several issues, when they beam up, Scott, uh, Kirk's always has his hand raised up. So uh, I'm assuming that he just always waves to the the uh, indigenous folk. Yeah. Like, hi, bye. Yeah, yeah. 
And then uh, when Spock is getting taken to sick bay and escapes, yeah. he runs into the teleportation chamber and locks himself and in. locks the door. Yeah. Which, yeah. all this time, they had this glass chamber. Now, they're actually doing something yeah. with it. Which, until this until this panel, I did not know that was a glass chamber. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was just the transporter effect. Uh, and then he beams the other dude out. What do you think about that? Yeah, so, the, so Spock uses the uh, transporter to somehow separate the renegade light form out of him. And again, we've got the uh, the Spock Fandango panel where we have three Spocks doing a different move in the same uh, uh, panel. Yeah, I, and I like that. I think that looks pretty cool with the yeah. lightning uh, cascading around his body and stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is a dance move. Look at this. Look at <laughs> Spock is looking good, you know? He's gonna. He's gonna. Well, you, you should start. Uh, you should start tricks. taking that out to the call to Spock. The discos. Call to Spock. <laughs> do the Spock. All right, and then what was your last uh, comment there? Yeah. Well, okay. So, so they try to do a McCoy and and Spock uh, par- sparring thing. Right. Uh, and so uh, McCoy is saying, "I always knew there was something unstable about you Vulcans." And then uh, Spock is saying. Dr. McCoy, it seems to me you Earthmen can achieve instability even without a machine. And then Spock looks, he's drinking his soda, and he's looking, I'm so cool, I burned you, McCoy, I burned... Not really, I don't think that was that good a one. <laughs> and he's drinking like a glass of water or something. Yeah, You yeah. said it's soda? So, he's having a Coke or something. Hmm. Well, he's parched. He's having a Coke or something. He just banged his head against the, the pillar. He, he's and gone through a lot. A, he's gone through a lot. from he, his brain. You know, he deserves a Coke and a smile. <laughs> All right, so that's it for that issue. Now we were going to, uh, unless you had something else. No, no. All right, so what we're going to do is uh, kind of go through what was going on in uh, Star Trek at this time. And uh, so basically, these four issues span quite a bit of time. So just kind of recapping Star Trek in general. Star Trek Season 1 started September 66. It finished in April 67. Issue number one of the... Uh, of a, um, the novelization series, um, book series, came out in January 67. Then season two started in September 67. And then our favorite issue, number one, started <laughs> in July 68. February 69, we had... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's July 67. And then February 68, we had another novelization book. Uh, season two finished March 68, so season two is already done before issue number two came out. Uh, season three started in uh, 1968 in September. Uh, December 68, we got issue number three. Uh, then sometime in 1968, we got the first novel, uh, prose novel, which was called Mission to Horatus. Uh, that's that one, that, the children's book I was telling you about, where Sulu has Mickey Mouse. Oh, gosh. His pet? Yeah, his pet mouse named Mickey. All right, and then April 69, we had a, uh, another novelization of some episodes, um, and all of those are written by a guy named James Blish. Oh. Uh, June 1969, James issue Blish. number four came out of this comic, and then Star Trek ended June 1969. So the same month that issue number four came out, the uh, series ended, and it won't be for, what, almost... Six years before the cartoon starts coming out. So, next issue, will, this will be it. 
if you were watching Star Trek, this is the only place where you're going to get uh, new Star Trek stories is these gold key comics. A Monopoly. A Wakai. Probably not by choice. Alright, take care everybody. Thanks everybody. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. As always, you can reach us through email at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Or you can befriend us at Facebook, first name ST Comic, last name Book Review. Several issues are available with visuals on YouTube.com. Please search for Star T Comic Book Review. Thank you and see you next time. <laughs>